Would you please turn with me to Genesis chapter 12? I'd like to test your Bible knowledge a little bit as we get started. And I'm going to ask just about one Bible story, but I'm not going to give you all of the pertinent details. And I'm going to tell you in advance, it's a little bit of a trick question. There is a story in the Bible that talks about some horrible plagues that come upon Pharaoh and Pharaoh's house. And when these horrible plagues come, there is actually a response from Pharaoh that he goes to one of God's most chosen servants and he says, you have to go. You have to get out of here. No more of this. The power of God was so obvious upon this man's life and the punishment that, Abra- that Pharaoh's house experienced was so incredible that he sent them away. Now, the main character in that story is the char- that I'm talking about is the character Abram. Did I trick anybody? When we think of that story, we think of Moses, don't we? Moses and the plagues that were on Egypt is something that has um, been a story that has been celebrated among God's people for so long. And yet that scenario is exactly what we're going to be talking about today in our study of God's Word. Now, there is a big difference. When we look at Moses, we find a confidence in God's provision and God's protection. In the story today we're going to look at with Abram, we understand that there is actually a lack of faith. And there are some embarrassing decisions that are at the heart of this story. 430 years after Abram would go through this, Moses would go through it. But today, we're continuing our study in the life of Abraham. What we're going to see in God's Word today is for you, in your walk with the Lord, God does have something amazing planned for you to accomplish. And along the way, In order for you to get there, you are going to need to remember God's strength, and you're also going to have to learn about your weaknesses. It wouldn't be a very inspiring message if I just talked about our weaknesses the entire time, would it? And yet this passage today, this talks very much so about the weakness of one of God's most wonderful servants. All that to take us to Genesis chapter 12. If uh, you need a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you, and it's page number 11 on that pew Bible. If you do not own your own Bible, please keep that one as a gift from us to you. When we look at Abram, there are so many lessons that are helpful for us. Last week, we were encouraged with verse number four of Genesis 12, where it basically says, after hearing this request of an extraordinary God upon an ordinary man to go, it says, so Abram went. And today we're going to find really the first of the big tests that Abram faces. And the first thing that I think we can learn in the lesson here of this story from Abram is that you and I need to anticipate and welcome testings from the Lord. Don't rush past that second part. Not only anticipate testings and trials, but welcome trials. Now, who in their right mind would say that? Why would we think that? The reason I say that is because anything that God wants you to have in your life is only good for you. Things like patience, 
Shake your heads yes or no. Does God want us to be a patient people? Yes, He does. How does God teach us patience? He puts us through trials. Does God want us to be a humble people? Yes, He does. And the way so often that He teaches humility, if we will not humble ourselves, if we're going to be used by Him, He will humble us. And so we must anticipate, and because He is a good God, we welcome testings from the Lord. Look at verse number 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Right off the bat, we're going to find a test that comes to Abram. I think it's interesting how often God uses weather to accomplish His purposes, and how often God would use a famine. Can you think of another time when God used a famine to move one of His children or some of His people? In fact, with all three of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God brings a famine along to move them from one place to another. We do not have to fear moving. We do not have to fear distance between us and the familiar. That took place right away with Abraham. God said to go, and he went, not knowing where he was going. Well, now he's come to Canaan. He has seen the land, and a famine comes. I have to believe this was a struggle for Abram. As he is learning about God, and remember, he didn't have the record like we have it. As he's learning about God along the way, I have to believe that he was afraid of so many things. When he stepped out in faith, he knew so many dangers. One of those dangers he's going to come across today. And he was aware that that would be coming when he went to strange places, people that did not fear God. But you and I must not fear the distance, the distance between ourselves and our home. You do not have to be afraid of the distance between yourself and what's comfortable to you. What we need to be afraid of is a distance between ourselves and God. If you are finding yourself making decisions that seem to be moving you further from God, that's what should drive us to fear. Abram finds himself in that situation today. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, do you remember the covenant we talked about last time? This Abrahamic covenant, God said this promise with him, he's going to give him seed, he's going to give him land, he's going to give him promises. We remember this. He leaves and he goes and he comes to Canaan. And when you think of Canaan, you might think of a nickname for Canaan. We'll talk about that just in just a moment. Because right now, what he's facing is a land that has been dominated by famine. There's not enough rain or the rains came at the wrong time in the Middle East. And there's not enough food to feed everyone. And so he has to move away from Canaan and he goes down to Egypt. And don't you think the little bit in Abraham was excited about the deal when it started? God, God, I was on board with this at the start. 
This seemed like a pretty good deal between you and me. And then he casts his eyes on Canaan and the famine. What kind of a covenant promised land is this? This looks horrible. And right away he has to move down and go to Egypt. What is that nickname when we think of Canaan that sometimes comes to mind? It was called a land that was flowing with what? Milk and honey. Have you ever wondered how big those grape clusters were? They were big, I'm sure, right? That was the, that's what we think of when we think of Canaan. But at this point, when Abraham first comes to this place, there was a famine, so he has to go. He has to move. I want you to note the word sojourn there in verse number 10. That word sojourn means temporary. So he wasn't leaving to go somewhere to dwell permanently. He's just going in a temporary way. And on your journey of faith with God, you never need to be afraid of anything except for distance between you and God. Now, I mentioned a little bit ago that Abraham knew this was going to come. When Abraham, when Abram was told, I want you to leave this land and I want you to go, not knowing where you're going to go, he had a conversation at that point with Sarai, his wife, and They talked this through. The horrific act that we're about to see in the next few verses, he had a conversation with his wife about this. And when they talk it through, he said to Sarai, we're going to come to places where they do not fear God. And I want you to tell them that you're not my wife, but my sister. That's what we see here. The next lesson that I'm learning here from Abram is that we need to make sure that we do not forfeit the future in light of the presence. How many of you are familiar with the idea that you can forfeit something down the road that's good for taking the quick and the easy and the convenient? Look in verse 11 with me. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake." When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. In this plan that he devised well before he got to Egypt, Abram sacrifices his wife. That is not God's plan for Abram. That is not God's plan for us today. Do you think it's important for you and I as Christians to get the role of women correct? Women in the Middle East right now are facing incredible persecution, threats of death, because they're just women. And Abram here makes the wrong decision. He chooses a lie. And he chooses to not care for his wife. Two things that are um, incredible, not only mistakes, but they are sins. Let me just give a side note here for those of you like me who are constantly wanting to boost your confidence in the Bible. We all need to have our confidence in God's Word boosted. 
If you were God and you were developing a book that was going to tell people about faith and salvation, and you're going to tell this story of how you brought a Messiah into the world eventually, would you be sharing all the sins and nasty details of those leaders of your story? You wouldn't and I wouldn't if we had any good brains. And yet God, in the record of His Word, does not keep these sins from us. He lets us know that Abram was not only a common man that he chose for something extraordinary, but he lets us know his sin. Now, Abram justified that sin. Sarai was his half-sister. But you and I know that a half-truth really is a whole lie, isn't it? By the way, does anybody recall the age of Sarai at this point here? We saw last week how old Abraham was. He was 75 years old. Sarai is 10 years younger than him, so this babe is 65 years old. And he was right. She must have been beautiful, and when she came into the area, they saw her and took her into Pharaoh's place. He gives two reasons for the lie. I hope you caught them. He says, first of all, that it may go well with me. Any red flags going up there? And then he says, that my life may be spared. And I really struggle with that because he's just left a situation before he went to Canaan where God spoke to him and made a covenant with him. You and I are indestructible until God is finished working with us. Nothing can harm you. Nothing can do away with your life as long as God still has a plan for you. And his plan for Abram was obvious. You're going to have incredible children. You're going to have incredible land. And you're going to have promises that I will keep. And so very clearly here, we see his greatest sin. And I'll let you be the judge of what the greatest sin was. The greatest sin for some of you might be a lie. Lying's a pretty big deal. For some of you here, you might see the greatest sin is him letting his wife go off to, those, to that house where she would be used in Pharaoh's court for purposes that we don't want to talk about. I think the greatest sin that we find here, not to diminish the other two, but the greatest sin that we find here is the faithlessness of Abram. Which is curious because when we think of Abraham, we think of someone who's known for their faith. Father Abraham, so many of us call him. And when we see his faithlessness here, we understand that it was driven because of fear. He knew there was an enemy and he forgot about the covenant. God's covenant that he just received not too long before says, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. So he does not need to do things apart from God's character in order to save his own life. And the application for us is obvious. We must be more captivated by our fear of God than we are by our fear of man. No matter what enemy is out there, no matter what you are facing, your fear and respect and awe of God must dominate over that. Has anybody here had the opportunity where you're 
you had an encounter with someone who you thought was going to hurt you. Maybe you've had a one-on-one or, or a situation where you thought your life was genuinely, maybe your life was in danger or at least you could get hurt. There's a woman named Pauline, Paulette Jacoby, and Paulette faced a situation like that. I wrote out the story and I want to share it with you. 92-year-old Paulette Jacoby placed her groceries into the back seat of her Toyota Corolla, which was parked in the handicapped space at the grocery store. There were many pedestrians walking behind her car, and so Mrs. Jacoby decided to wait a minute until it was clear. And that's when it happened. A tall, ragged-looking man opened the passenger door and got in. Immediately, he said, give me your money. 92-year-old Jacoby answered, no, just like that. What do you mean, no? I said no. When she later talked to police, she believes that she only had a $10 bill with her, and she did not want to give that to him, and she certainly didn't want to give him any of her medications. So she said no. And then the Lord took over is what Jacoby says. She said, if you kill me today, I'm going to go straight to heaven. And if you kill me, they're probably going to find you and they're going to kill you. And you're likely going to go straight to hell. You look like someone who's had an awful time in this world. But as bad as you may have had it in this world, it's nothing compared to hell. There's something that you should know, she told the robber. Jesus is here in the car with me. He stopped and glanced over his left shoulder to see (laughs) that someone was in the back seat. She observed as he made this look in the back seat, and then she said, Jesus is my protector. Even if you kill me, I'll go to heaven, and then they'll find you. Mrs. Jacoby then asked the robber his name. Ricky is my name, he said. Ricky, you drink, don't you? His response was, well, yes, but right now I'm just hungry, that's all. She said, if you didn't spend your money on alcohol, you'd have food to eat. And then she asked Ricky, Ricky, would you like to go to heaven? I would, but I don't think there's any way that God would take me to heaven. Of course God will, she said. He takes anyone who trusts him and asks Jesus to be their savior. She then took out what she believes was a $10 bill, and she said this, Ricky, this is for something to eat. You can't take it from me, but I will give it to you. And at that point, Ricky began to cry. He took the $10 bill, and then he leaned over and gave Mrs. Jacoby a a kiss on the cheek. And then he got out of the car. The surveillance cameras at the Walmart recorded about 12 minutes that the would-be thief was in the car. You and I do not need to fear what man can do to us. But on our journey to doing something that will last for God, we need to always keep the awe of God before us. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, they have nothing more they can do. So at this point in our story, I need to ask the question, as they come to Egypt, 
as Sarai is taken away, this is my question for you, class. Who is Abram's biggest threat to losing the promise of God? Who is it? It's not Pharaoh. Abraham's biggest problem is Abraham. And when you and I go through trials, that is so often the case, isn't it? Jeremy Lazell's biggest problem is Jeremy Lazell. And we have to allow ourselves to walk through not motivated by fear, but instead by faith. We contrast this. Abraham is known best for his faith, and yet he is acting in despicable fear now. And not only are you and I discouraged by his failure, but what's going to happen next is one of the first opportunities for somebody to shine bright for God And we find the opposite happening. Instead of someone shining bright, illuminating, showing the power of God, which was obviously present, he misses that chance. And that takes me to the last lesson that we see here today. And that is we cannot attract anyone to God while acting in a way that is contrary to His Word. No one will be attracted to the God that you say is your God while you are acting in a way that is contrary to Him. The world around knows how Christians are supposed to act. Did you know that already? The cities around Abram, where they were going to be going, they knew how good moral men were supposed to act. And Pharaoh is going to call Abram out right here. Look at verse 16. And for her sake... He dealt with Abram, and he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Abram missed the chance to say, I have a God that's doing amazing things for me. He should be your God too. Abram accumulates wealth here. And the person without the discerning eye might read this and think that God honors it when people act in a manipulating way. Do not be fooled into thinking that God rewards bad behavior with material blessings. It's obvious that Pharaoh is superstitious, as most of the world was. You study the Bible, you study the people groups, they were superstitious all over the place. And it seems clear that God appeared to Abram I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, to Pharaoh, and tells him, you need to not have that woman, and lets him know that she is Abram's wife. It's clear to Pharaoh that he was favored at least by the gods, and so he sends him out of the country with no retribution, and he lets him keep all the stuff that he gave him. I think the applications for me are so obvious 
when we look at how we apply this to our life, you and I need to be certain that we are not making difficult decisions in life from the place of fear, but we make them from the place of faith. Have you ever wondered why some criminals who make obviously huge blunders and disasters that ruin their life, have you ever wondered why they do that? I mean, people ruin their lives. They go to jail the rest of their life. They might even go through the death penalty because of what they do. And you and I observe that, and we think, what were they thinking? There was a leader at a church in Texas, and he asked this question. Why is it that these people would do things that seem so obviously foolish and that will ruin their life? As he had that question, he had opportunity to go on a fishing trip with a detective And as he talked to this detective, he asked that question. With all the criminals that you've worked with, do you have any kind of insight to this question? And the detective gave him the answer. He said, I have yet to interview a criminal that got caught in a heinous crime who was thinking down the road. They are not able to think in the future. They only think in the now. And they respond. And you and I shake our heads and say, yeah, that's pretty foolish. But how many times are we guilty of responding out of the immediate concern or the danger or the fear instead of based on the promises that God has given? The God that was with Abram is the God that's with you and with me. And we need to not respond out of fear, but instead from a place of faith. Because when we make decisions from fear, it can devastate our path. It can devastate God's plan. Very, very quickly, let's just say God didn't get involved by appearing to Pharaoh. And Sarai goes into Pharaoh's court, and then she becomes one of his women. Who's going to be missing from the picture a little bit down the road? It's going to be Isaac, right? Thankfully, God in His love and in His patience works with Abram here. Abram did not do what was right, but he had a God that was watching out for him. We need to not make decisions from fear. And then also, we need to never compromise our integrity in exchange for security. That integrity that we're talking about is things that we're building into our lives. Abram did not have the advantage that you and I have of having this book written out, telling us how to act, what not to do, how to please God. We have so much instruction, and there are so many books and studies that you can be a part of. And you must have that as a part of your life so that the integrity is so firm that you do not compromise that integrity for security. I understand a little bit of what Abram went through, not completely, in leaving the familiar. How many of you enjoy the familiar? Whether you know it or not, you do. You might have something totally new, but you work after a few days to get it to where you're familiar with it. We like the familiar. There's a comfort level that comes in that And our love for God must outweigh our love for the familiar or our love for security. And I'm going to point you to heaven because you must hold on to heaven 
and the promises of eternal life with what I'm about to tell you. Just because you go through trials, and whether you fail or if you pass, it does not mean that the trials go away on this side of heaven. There is no guarantee that the trials get lighter. We're in Genesis chapter 12 right now. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 20 in a few weeks. Abram goes through this exact thing again. The agreement that he made with Sarai, tell them you're my sister. He goes through the same thing again. Is this a pass or a fail for Abram again? He fails again. He fails in Genesis 12. God is patient. He fails in Genesis 20, and God is patient. And then in Genesis 21, he calls him, Abraham, to do something that would be the most difficult request that God would ever ask of him, and maybe the most difficult thing that God would ever ask any man to do. And when God says, take your only son Isaac and you're going to go and you're going to sacrifice him, does he pass that test or does he fail it? He passes. We hold on to the strengths and promises of our God. And we also know our failures and our weaknesses. And God does not reject you when you fail him once and when you fail him twice and when you fail him 70 times. He says, you are mine You are my child, and I've walked those steps before you walked them, and I've cried those tears before you've cried them. I have something amazing, and you're a part of that, my child, our God says to us, and you and I hold on like Abram did by faith, and sometimes falling, but always getting back up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Abram. We thank you for what you did in his life. It feels awkward to say thank you that he failed, but thank you that we can learn from his failures. God, you do not waste any of those. You've recorded them in your book. And God, you do not waste the failures in our own lives. Our sins our bad decisions. You don't waste those. You're patient. And in your incredible plan of working out billions and trillions of things to work it out for your glory and for our good, you can somehow take those days that we want to erase off of the page of our life and you can use them in some way that allows us to be used for you and to do something marvelous for you. We praise you for your faithfulness to use all of your children. I want to give you a chance to pray today. While the music plays, I want you to take time. If God's laying something on your heart, I'll leave that between you and Him. I want to give you a chance to do business with the Lord. It could be that you're here today and you've never taken that first step of faith, accepting Jesus as your Savior. The way that you can know that you're going to heaven when you die is by accepting the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And all we have to do is ask Him to forgive us and make us His child. If the Lord's leading you to pray that prayer, I'd encourage you to do that. 